Well, good morning, Seabreeze. It's good to see everyone this morning. You may not be aware of this, but there is an estimated $42 billion worth of unclaimed money here in the U.S. Some of it may be yours. Most of this uh, money is from abandoned bank accounts. In California, banks are required to turn over uh, this money uh, after a period of inactivity or three-year period of inactivity. And there is a, a free website that will help you search for any unclaimed money, both here in California and across the nation. It's called missingmoney.com. So you might want to take a look at that. Not now, but take a look at that uh, later in the day. I was curious about this, so I decided this last week, well, I'm, I'm going to enter my name in there and see if there's some of this $42 billion that's got my name on it. Uh, there wasn't. There was a Brant UNRWA, and there was a Blanca UNRWA, but no Bevan UNRWA. So I'm just going to have to stick with the money that I have. $42 billion is a lot of unclaimed money. It's hard to imagine how you just kind of abandon or forget that you have uh, money in a bank. But that amount, $42 billion, is nothing compared to the amount of God's grace that goes unclaimed on a daily basis around the world. God's grace is the power of God at work in an individual life. It's really kind of like the muscle of heaven applied to an individual life. So when God's grace is applied to our sin, it forgives our sin and it cancels our eternal debt. When it's applied to weakness, God's grace gives us the strength to change and to accomplish things and endure in ways we couldn't do on our own. When applied to a problem, God's grace navigates step by step and day by day through even the most complex of problems and begins to unravel what looked like an impossible barrier. God's grace really has the power to change this world one person at a time. So why hasn't the world changed? If God's grace is so amazing, why hasn't the world really, why hasn't the world really changed that much over time? And the reason is because most of God's grace goes unclaimed. It's not received. It's not accepted. So God has made grace notification one of his top priorities. The state of California budgets a year to notify people of unclaimed money. Clearly not a budget priority. $15,000 for 39 million people in the state. Not much of a priority. And it's understandable given all that the state has to do. But for God, notifying people of his grace that has gone unclaimed is, is one of his top priorities. And we've been looking through the book of Jonah, four-chapter book in the Old Testament. And this book is a, a prime example of the lengths that God will go to in this notification effort. And it's also an example of how God includes us, those of us who have received his grace, in this notification effort. In chapter 1, God tells Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh to notify them that their days are coming to an end. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, the dominant empire at the time. And Jonah's people had suffered greatly at the hands of the Assyrian army. In fact, it's not hard to imagine that Jonah most likely knew some people who had been killed by the Assyrian army. And so Jonah felt about Nineveh probably the same way we felt about Al-Qaeda right after September 11. He was not a fan of the city of Nineveh. God's impending judgment would have come as welcome news to Jonah. But Jonah had a, a sinking feeling about God was up to. I mean, wh why warn them? God, what are you doing? What, why, why warn them? If you really want to destroy this city, don't tell them, just destroy the city. And you can almost see 
Jonah begin to understand what God's doing, and Jonah begins to realize, oh no, God's up to what he often does. He's, he's offering grace to sinful people. He's going to offer grace to Nineveh, the capital city of our sworn enemies. And Jonah didn't want anything to do with this, so he boards a ship heading in the opposite direction. He runs from God. Of course, you can't run from God, so God sends a storm that puts the ship in peril, and the sailors on the ship discover that the reason the storm is coming, and they're, about, they're all about to die, is because of Jonah's rebellion against God, and so they throw Jonah overboard. And as Jonah's about to drown, he's, he's sinking, God sends a large fish to swallow Jonah alive, and miraculously keeps Jonah alive in the belly of this fish for three days. And over the course of these three days, Jonah realizes how much he really personally needs God's grace. And so God's grace went from kind of a truth that Jonah was aware of to something that he desperately needed. And you'll find that God often does this to those of us who he wants to deliver his grace. You can't really be a messenger of something that you have little experience with yourself. And so God often brings us to a point where we personally come to a bottom and we realize how much we need God's grace. And so that gives us a heart for other people who need God's grace as well. And so now, finally, Jonah is ready to go. The fish vomits Jonah up on dry land. have no idea how awful he must have looked at that point. But he's alive, he's on dry land, and Jonah is finally ready to obey God and go to Nineveh. So we pick up the story in Jonah chapter 3. We're going to read Jonah chapter 3 right now. And if you want to follow along in the Bibles that are in front of you, you can, you can go ahead and turn there. It's page number 775. I'm also going to project the words on the screen behind, so if you'd prefer to follow along there, you can do that as well. But we're going to read Jonah chapter 3. It's 10 verses, and this is where the story picks up. So listen as I read this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, which was a symbol of humility and grief, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Jonah, or through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. The grace that God had available for Nineveh, Nineveh was finally received. Why? Well, there are many factors, of course, that led to this tremendous turnaround of this city. But the book of Jonah focuses on just one. Jonah traveled 500 miles and went to Nineveh. That's the reason this entire city turned to God and received his grace. They didn't deserve it. None of us deserve God's grace. But Jonah went, he covered the distance, notified them, and they all 
accepted God's grace. This has always been God's way of notifying the world of his grace. It's always been individuals, one-on-one or in groups, notifying people of God's grace. God isn't going to set up a website called missinggrace.com where you can enter your name and see if there might be some unclaimed grace for you. No, it's always kind of the low-tech, personal approach. It's always just people like Jonah and you and me that have received God's grace And now God says, go. You go and tell other people about this. You go 10 miles to work. You go 25 miles or 25 feet, rather, across the street to your neighbor. You go 6,000 miles to that country. Now, don't worry exactly about where you're to go. I mean, you are where you are right now, and if God wants you somewhere else, he'll make that clear in time. The simple fact is, this week, we are already going to be going. Last week, you already went, went a bunch of places. You're going to Little League, and you're going to work, and you're going to the dentist. We're always going places. We walk out of our front door, and we're on the go. And God is the one who's behind this going. So we need to go with a purpose, not just to accomplish a task. We are going as God's grace notifiers. But just like Jonah 3,000 years ago, There are three common barriers that we must cross and that often prevent us from going with a purpose. Barrier number one is the cost barrier. The cost barrier. Travel always costs something. To go from point A to point B, to cover the distance, you're going to have to pay a price. You have to buy a plane ticket. You're going to have to pay for gas. You're going to have to take the time to travel. But the primary cost of grace notifiers isn't measured in miles. That's not the big distance. It's measured in personal distance, the personal distance that needs to be covered. You see, you can be sitting right next to someone. There's no physical distance between you, but there's a tremendous amount of personal distance because you don't really know them that well. In order to cover that kind of distance, you need to take an interest in their life. You need to find ways to be of real help to them. In other words, you're going to have to view those that God brings across your path as people, not just landscape on the way to your objectives. And that view of people is going to cost you. It's going to cost you time. It's going to interfere with your plans. In many ways, it's easier to pay money and take the time off and go on a mission trip to another part of the world and share God's grace there than it is to to be a part of the ongoing effort to be on mission in the middle of your going, in the middle of our regular daily life. And all too often, we we just don't want to pay this price. We don't want to to slow down enough. We don't want to take the time to engage in conversations enough. And we just don't want to pay the price. And so we tend to think that, well, I'm busy, and if I don't do it, then someone else is going to do it. God will send someone else. Right now, I've just got a lot to do. But that's not the way God sees it. Jonah was was not just one on a list of possible people that God was going through to send to Nineveh. As you read through this story, it's clear Jonah was the guy. God didn't have a backup guy ready to go. And so when Jonah said, no, I'm not going to go and boarded that ship and headed in the opposite direction, God didn't say, oh, well, next. There's plenty of people that I can send. No, God went to incredible lengths to pursue Jonah 
until Jonah finally agreed to go to Nineveh. It became clear to Jonah, God's not going to give up. I better get this over with. I better go to Nineveh because for some reason, I'm the guy. I'm the one that God wants to say to Nineveh. See, there, there didn't appear to be a plan B person because there isn't. So what this means is that if God prompts you to strike up a conversation or take an interest in someone and say something about God to them, what that means is you're it. You're the person. There is no one standing in line behind you with more free time than you and who can step in because you're just having a really busy day. You're the one. You're the Jonah in this situation. And the question for all of us is, will we pay the price? Will we just slow down for a little bit? Will we turn our thoughts towards somebody else for just a little bit? Will we pay that price? The second barrier is the fear barrier. Jonah going to Nineveh was a very scary thing for him to do. Going to Nineveh for Jonah was, would be like us going to Syria to deliver the message to ISIS that God was going to destroy them if they didn't repent. How well would that go? Well, that, of course, would risk certain beheading probably, right? That's the kind of thing that Jonah was facing. I read of a, a Christian in Syria, a Syrian Christian, not many of those, who had the opportunity just a few months ago to escape from Syria and the persecution that it meant for him to be a Christian in Syria. But he refused to go. And the reason he gave is because for the first time in his life, so many people in his village were so curious to learn more about Jesus Christ. In the middle of all that turmoil, there's a real interest right now. He said, I, I can't leave. He rightly recognized that his main purpose in life was to be a grace notifier. And he, like Jonah and many people before him, have risked their lives in order to notify people of God's grace. Now, the risk for us usually doesn't get that high. We don't risk death in this country to notify people of God's grace and strike up those kind of conversations. But there is a risk that we fear, and sometimes we fear even more, not because it's necessarily worse, but because it's a more real risk for us. Well, one of the biggest risks or the scariest things in our culture is to be uncool. And right now, honestly, Christians are pretty much presented as idiots in modern culture. And so if you identify with Christ in any way, it's a significant risk. Our culture increasingly is saying to Christians, sit down and shut up. I mean, we appreciate the legacy of Christ and it gave us freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Now be quiet. And that's what our culture says to us. So it's a, it is, it's a tremendous risk for us to say anything. Because the minute you, I mean, you can say some things about God maybe, but if you say anything about Jesus Christ, then, boy, there's just a whole bunch of labels that, that fall on you, and you're, well, you're a long ways from cool at that point. So it's a tremendous risk in our culture to identify. Not a physical risk, but kind of a relational and personal risk. You see, it's always risky to step out of your comfort zone. We, we prefer to operate inside a, a circle of comfort. We'll use this circle to identify, you know, the circle of comfort. And inside this invisible circle are the people that we know and the people who like us. They get to stay inside our circle of comfort. Outside are people we don't know or people who don't like us. We don't want, you know, them inside because they're risky. Inside are the people that we agree with. Outside are the people that we don't agree with. So inside the circle of comfort 
Life can be fairly predictable. Outside, it's very unpredictable. So if you step outside the circle of comfort, what you're doing is you're stepping into the zone of the unknown. You don't know how it's going to go. You could strike up a conversation in the zone of the unknown, and you just don't know what's going to happen because you don't know what's this person that well. One time, I stepped into the zone of the unknown just to strike up a conversation. The person was standing right next to me. We were at a, an event, and we were standing there for a while, and so I thought, you know, I should step out of my circle of comfort and try to engage in a conversation. So we were having just, you know, chit-chatty conversation, and I noticed that his son was wearing a, a hockey jersey, San Jose Sharks. Now, I love hockey. I'm not a fan of the Sharks, but I, I love hockey, and so I thought, well, this will be a great thing. Clearly, they must love hockey if he's wearing the, the hockey jersey, and so I just turned to his son and said, so, buddy, you like the sharks? It turns out that he was a she. Wasn't his son, it was his daughter. How do you recover from that? <laughs> I mean, there's just, no, there's just nothing you can, there's just like, I'm an idiot. Sorry. I mean, I tried to recover, but it was just, <laughs> the conversation was just in flames. See, that's the kind of thing that happens. And we've all had experiences like that in the zone of the unknown where we've said something or, or, you know, stuck our foot in our mouth or done something. And it's like, oh, it's so embarrassing. And what we say in our mind is never, never venture into the zone of the unknown again. <laughs> Stay with the people that you know. Don't risk this. It's not worth it. The problem, though, is that if you have been a Christ follower for a while, the majority of those inside your circle of comfort are most likely Christ followers as well. What that means is that this circle has become a barrier now to grace notification. And unless you push past the fear and cross that circle, that barrier, into the zone of the unknown, there's, there's almost no chance that people who are not accepting God's grace and leaving it go unclaimed are not going to find out about it, the people that God brings in your path. So we have to push past the cost barrier. We have to push past the fear barrier. And then if we do, we find ourselves at the words barrier. So you've paid the price. You've covered the distance. You've made an investment. You've taken an interest. You've struck up a conversation. You've pushed past your fears. Now what? Well, you're going to have to say something about God's grace. At some point, you're going to have to this into words. And in my experience, the number one reason why we don't speak up about God's grace is that we just don't know what to say. We don't really know where to begin. And if that's you, you're about to be very encouraged. So get ready. Did you notice what Jonah said? How he presented God's grace? Here's what he says. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. That's all he said. Jonah, there's no evidence that he ever stopped to talk to any person, ever took an interest in anyone. He just walked through the city basically and said, repent, you guys got 40 days. And he just kept on walking. I mean, try saying that, walking around your neighborhood and saying that and seeing how that'll go. You know, just get a megaphone, hey, repent, you got 40 days. You know, you'll, you'll find some attention, but not the right kind of attention. This has to be, I mean, you can read through the entire pages of God's Word. This has to be the all-time worst presentation of God's grace ever. 
I mean, this, you can't do worse than this. I mean, just imagine if you have been inviting a friend to visit you here at church, to visit with you here at Seabreeze sometimes. And, and maybe you've spent years inviting them. And finally, one Sunday, they say they're going to come. How, how would you feel? Well, I know how you feel because you've told me oftentimes how you feel. You've walked up to me and said, I hope you have a good one today. <laughs> Which I ignore the clear implication of it's kind of a hit and miss with you. So <laughs> I hope this is a good day. I understand you're nervous, so I just bypass that. Or you'll say, you know, my friend is here. Don't blow it today. <laughs> I mean, th- this is how you feel. I understand. So what if I stood up on that Sunday, and I just simply stood right here, and I said, repent, time's running out. And then I walked off. What would your response be? No! This had to be the Sunday. The Sunday he snaps on, this has to be the Sunday that I brought my friend. You'd be devastated. Why? Well, because it seems pretty clear that their one shot at receiving God's grace was completely blown by how poorly I explained it. You see, in Nineveh, the stakes were much higher than just one person, one friend. The eternal lives of 120,000 lives, people were at stake. It was on the line. And if you read in Jonah chapter 4, like we will next week, you can see that Jonah's heart is not in the delivery of this message at all which I think is why God only gave him one line. He realized he's not going to be able to say two sentences. He hates these people so much. I I can only expect one line out of him. And so he just gave him one line. This is the bottom line. You got 40 days, turn to God. And so that's all Jonah said. I'd love to have video on how Jonah delivered this. I mean, I can just see his body language. Repent, 40 days, whatever. You know, moving on. I don't care. I hope you don't. I don't know if he's added any of those words, but his attitude, his heart was not in it. So what happened? The entire city turns to God and accepts his grace. I mean, to me, this is more unbelievable than the fish. That's just, that's just astounding. So what you have here is the worst presentation of God's grace ever paired with the best response ever. Isn't that weird? Why? Why? I'm pretty convinced God's making a point. And his point is this. At the end of the day, it's God's work in the hearts of people that matters the most. We just have to do our part. The idea is it's really, really hard for you to mess this up with your words. So speak up. Go for it. You see, we put way too much pressure on what we say and way too little confidence in God's work in the hearts of people. You know, as I do prepare for Sundays, I I work hard on what I say here. I don't want to stand up here and, and not make the most of the opportunity to explain to you the most amazing gift and the most amazing power that's available to all of us. I I want to be as clear as possible. And I want to present this to you very clearly and with with evidence and well-thought-out arguments. But there's times when I I start feeling the pressure. 
of, oh no, what if, what if I can't say it well enough? Or what if, what if it's boring and it's not funny enough? Or what if it's, and I'll just, I'll start feeling the pressure. And whenever I do, I try to remember Jonah. And I remember if God could do that in the city of Nineveh with that presentation, I'm better. I'm doing better than that. Anyone can do better than that. So the pressure is, I mean, I need to do the best I can. You need to do the best you can. But the pressure really isn't on us. God's doing his work. The biggest mistake that we can make is to say nothing. That's the big mistake. I mean, you, you can't have Jonah just standing there and expecting a response like this. Jonah couldn't have walked through the city of Nineveh, no matter what his hand motions would have been, and have them understand. You know, he could have gone, I mean, what? What? Jonah, what? He had to open his mouth and say what God had told him to say. We, we can't just stand next to people and work next to people and live next to people and be nice and smile at them and be kind and, and think that they will ever hear about God's grace. We're going to have to say something at some point. We have to speak up. So my advice is think through in advance of some things to say. I mean, I don't just stand up here and just kind of wing it. I've thought through some stuff. We need to do the same thing. I mean, one of the easy things that we can all say to someone, especially if they're struggling with something, is just say, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm praying for you. Or can I pray for you? I mean, that identifies you in kind of the God conversation. And then you can follow up later and say, yeah, I've, been, I've really been praying for you about this. How's it going? One of the things sometimes I like to do is, is ask God very specifically to, to answer that prayer so that they will get a sense that God really is involved in real day life. So just say, can I pray for you? Or you could say something like, you know, I, at, at a point in the conversation where it makes sense, say, you know, I, I've been going to this church for a while now and it's really been a help to me. If you're ever interested in joining me, I'd love to have you join me some Sunday and just see where the conversation goes. Or the other thing that you can get ready to talk about is just your own story. You, just, you know your own story. You may not know everything in the Bible, but you know everything that's happened to you. So just tell a little part of your story and, and how Jesus has made a difference in your life. And see where that conversation goes. But one of the fears I know a lot of people have is, well, what if they ask me a question about, from the Bible and I don't know the answer? What do I do then? Well, just say, I don't know. One of the things you can always say is, you know, honestly, I don't know about that. But what I do know is what's happened in my life. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I, yeah, I don't know about that. But what I do know is this. And then try to get an answer. You can just say, you know, I don't know. I'll, I'd be happy to try to dig up an answer on that if that's something you're really curious about. Then go find an answer. Then come back and have a follow-up conversation. Another thing you can do is just buy them a, a book that's really helped you. And just say, you, you know, you had some questions, and they're really good questions, and I, you know, I don't know all the answers to all the questions, but this book has answered a lot of questions for me, so I bought it for you. I don't know if you want to read it or not, but, but here, I thought this might be helpful. You just buy them a book. In fact, today, I want to give you a book that has really helped me in knowing what to say. It's called More Than a Carpenter. It's written by Josh McDowell. It was written a long time ago, but it's been updated, and it's, it's just a huge, huge help. And so we're just going to give this book away to anyone who wants it uh, for free today. Now, one per family. 
But here is, here's the one condition on receiving this book. If you take this book, it's because you intend to use it. I don't want to add to your unread library. Uh, now, we're not going to follow up on this, but you're on your own. But if you really want to use this, then we'd love for you to have the copy of this book. We've got this, you, just as you walk out after the service, right out behind those doors, we've got a table, and you can just you know, grab a book, one per family. But your agreement, again, is to use it, either to give it to someone that you're reaching out to or to read it for yourself so that you can learn more about what to say when God gives you opportunities. But get ready to open your mouth and say something. God will give opportunities if you're ready. We need to be ready. 67 years ago, a very shy young woman invited an outgoing young man to a meeting in her church. Now, what made this an awkward invitation was the fact that she had just turned him down for a date. And the reason she had turned him down is because, unlike her, he was not a Christ follower. He had not received God's grace through Christ. So, of course, turning a guy down for a date is awkward enough, but then turning around and inviting him to join you for church takes it to a new awkward level. But apparently she was cute enough and he was interested enough that he decided, well, if I can't get a date, I'll go to church with her. And so he joined her at church that next day. And it was at that church meeting that this young man encountered the grace of God for the very first time. He hadn't really heard of it before. And before that day was over, he had personally accepted the greatest of all gifts, the very power of God to forgive him and to begin to change him. But this gift of God's grace didn't stop with this young man. I mean, he, he literally couldn't keep the news about God's grace all to himself. So he went home, and he told his parents, and in time he told each of his seven siblings. There were eight kids. And in time, not, not immediately, but over the next several years, each member of his family accepted this gift, the gift of God's grace in Christ, just like he had. And like them, they couldn't keep the news about Jesus to themselves. They grew up. One of them married a, a successful um, construction contractor, and they became pillars of a local church that helped all kinds of people find the gift of God's grace. Two of the eight siblings went on to become pastors. Five of the eight siblings became missionaries in different countries. Now, no one, no one has ever counted, nor do I know how you ever could count or add up all of the people who have found the grace of God through this one family. Probably thousands would be my guess, but it's hard to know. But, and all of that just started with this one little invitation from this shy teenage girl. And I, personally, will be forever grateful for the courage of that teenage girl because she was my Aunt Jenny. And the man she invited was my Uncle Henry. Here's the two of them. They're no longer alive, but through them, the gift of God's grace made its way into my family. Through her, through her courage. Courage, first of all, to turn the guy down and then to invite him back to church. God's grace made its way to my family, and then to me, and then to my children, hopefully to my grandchildren now, and then through us, 
to some of you and even more. So if, like me, you have experienced the life-altering grace of God in your own life, then my challenge to all of us today is let's crank up our boldness meters on this. And let's introduce as many people as possible to the God who wants to enfold them in his grace. And it all starts when we decide to go with a purpose. You see, if God can use Jonah's one-liner, poorly delivered, to bring a city that size to faith, I, I think he can use you and I think he can use me. The question is always this, whether or not we will travel the distance and then open our mouth. So I have some challenges in the form of the next steps as we wrap up today. My first challenge is to go with purpose this week. These three are listed on the back of your connection card, also on the bottom of your listing guide. Go with purpose this week. Let me explain what I mean by that. I know you've got stuff to do this week. You're going to work, you're going to the store, you got doctor's appointments. You're, you're going to step out your front door and go somewhere this week. And my suggestion is that you go with purpose. And what I mean by that is before you head out in the morning, just pause and take some time and say, God, I want to go with purpose. I don't know if there's going to be an opportunity to strike up a conversation. I don't know if there's going to be an opportunity to help someone, serve someone. But I just want to let you know I, I'm willing. I'm ready to help. I'm ready to say something. And if there's an opportunity, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to step forward. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something. I'm going to help. I'm going to do something. Go, go with purpose this week. And then I would encourage you to read More Than a Carpenter. Pick up a free copy of it and read it. It's just a short little book. Very interesting. I would encourage you to read it. And then also I would encourage you to read the book of Jonah. I've mentioned this a few times, but it's just four chapters. If you haven't read it yet, I would encourage you to read it this week. If you've already read it, read it again. The reason I want you to read this is as you read the book of Jonah, it just keeps driving clearly how important this is to God. The links that he will go to to notify people like you and me and then through us to other people of his grace. So I would encourage you to read uh, the book of Jonah again this week. Let's pray together. Father, we, um, we thank you that you have not only, Jesus, have you paid the price for the grace of the Father in our life, but you now have made notification of us your top priority. And we recognize that we have become recipients of your grace, not just because it occurred to us, but because someone told us. And we thank you for those people that spoke up. Some of them in our family, some of them friends, some of them strangers that we had just met. But we thank you for their courage and their willingness to go with purpose so that we would know. And now we choose not just to enjoy the, all the benefits of your grace, but we choose to join in this great notification effort. We pray that you would help us to, to go with purpose this week. We, we are ready to push through the price barrier and the fear barrier and the word barrier and say something. We pray that in this community you would move tremendously in the hearts of people.
just like you did in Nineveh. You would open up hearts to you. And then you would give us the courage to speak up and say something, to notify them of your grace. Help us and give us courage. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.